That great song in the Hebrew language encourages us, exhorts us to make every day a praise the Lord day. You know, um, salvation alone, and we know this in our heads, and I think sometimes we embrace it in our hearts, but when forever comes, we are going to bless the Lord with thanksgiving for our salvation for all of eternity, and it will not... Our minds will be boggled by how great our God is to have saved us and to have brought us into his presence to be with him forever. So make every day now a praise the Lord day. God's got you covered. He loves you, cares for you. Our Father and our God, as we uh, bow our heads in your presence again this morning, because uh, we know now it is time to open up your word and, and hear what you have for us this morning. I pray that you would cause our hearts to be open and attentive and, and in, a, in a mood of application, Lord. I pray that, that we would take the rich truths that you're going to deliver to us from the riches of your glory, and I pray, Father, that we might value them and uh, live our lives in accordance with what you have for us. I, I pray, Father, that we might find reasons to praise you. It's not hard to find reasons, Lord. You are such a great and amazing God. Your mercies are new to us every morning. Great is your faithfulness to us. You have tomorrow covered for us. You want us to live in the present today and worship you and make every day a praise the Lord day. So, Father, we just want to do that. We want to praise you in advance of what you're going to do now for us through your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, cause by the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives to engage us fully and, and give our full attention to what you have. Father, um, teach our hearts, instruct us. I pray that we'll love you, and uh, we know you love us, and you've given everything to us. So, Father, uh, we look forward to these next few moments of, of richness from your heart to ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah. If you're not there already, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Um, I wonder, as we embark upon this uh, this text this morning, if any of you have ever sought after the Lord's will. Is that something we've commonly done? I think all of us have, whether there's a change in our lives or, or something's come into our lives or we're looking or we're pursuing after God's heart, we're, we're searching. We're people who search after the will of God for our lives. And, and sometimes that can be a really frustrating experience for us and unnecessarily so, I think, particularly as we... Um, we know that God has some purpose for us. We know that, that he has something and some things for us to do. And, and, and sometimes we just find that looking for God's specific will for us um, is a mystery, at least humanly speaking, and unnecessarily frustrating. So I want to talk to you this morning from this text about how God's will becomes my will, how God's will will become your will, and my, uh, how, how um, my will can be aligned to God's will. So what we're really talking about here this morning is God's call to you and his appointed purpose for your life. And there's some vital things that we need to learn about God and how he operates. There, were, there are key elements that we can find in the text this morning that will help us to see how God narrows a, a, a general focus, a general will that he has down to a specific focus that he intends to make happen in your life. And uh, it's really, as I'm calling it, moving God's burden forward. God's burden that he has on his heart 
putting it on your heart specifically for you and you moving it, you move, God moving it forward in your heart. Now, we know that, that there's a, a general desire of God's will that, that his glory, um, he, God's will is his glory. And we learned this last week. We know this before last week. All of us who have spent any time at all in, in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ know that, that it's about God's glory. God... Um, is insatiable about his glory. And rightly so, because he is the glorious God over the universe. And, and so all of us are in the will of God if we're seeking to glorify God. That's the general will of God for us. But, but we notice that in Nehemiah's heart, there was a growing sense of a specific burden that God was, was manifesting in his heart. And that specific concern was that there were grave failures taking place in terms of glorifying God, particularly in Jerusalem. There was, as we discovered, scriptural sloppiness and sinfulness among God's people and spiritual passivity and laziness and the advancement of God's word in God's will in rescuing hearts was being put in jeopardy by the attitude of God's people in Jerusalem. And that was a, a real burden that God was brewing in the heart of Nehemiah. And um, we can see that in the, in the, as we move through the text that, that God continues to narrow the focus in, in Nehemiah. And I think there's a tremendous phrase that's caught in chapter 2 verse 12 that really expresses this specific burden that God put in Nehemiah's heart. Notice in verse 12, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. I, I think there are key elements there. What my God had put in my heart to do about a specific thing in a specific place. To me, that's not general. That's a, that's a very specific call of God on a person's life. And you might be saying, well, that, that's, a, that's something that happens to the great champions of God. No, I fully believe that, that this is for everybody, that God has uh, brought you into his kingdom for a purpose. And we're to seek God's will. We're to seek God's will specifically. But I want you to know as terms of a caveat before we launch full blast into this text this morning that for the most part, Alan Redpath, who was a pastor at one time at Moody Church in Chicago, he, he writes this, for the most part, most of us will be sent out to, the, to be exceptional in ordinary things among sometimes mean people in frequently sordid surroundings. A lot of you are saying, yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. That's precisely what I'm afraid God will, will bring into my life. Well, that's, that's the truth of our lives. But God is leading us to have a burden in our hearts. Now, because the nature of God's special mission is so significant and, and the scope is so amazing and so beyond our talents and our abilities... Since we're tasked with burdens that are of eternal magnitude, let me just say something to you, that when that's the case, and it is, it's exhausting unless God is actually carrying the burden. So don't press forward unless God is clearly leading the charge. Uh, in other words, um, like the old marketing strategy of the past uh, bygone years, don't leave home without God. This is key in understanding and, and embracing the will of God for our lives. So um, I want to read the text and then I want to uh, make some applicational thoughts with you this morning from it. Nehemiah 2, 1 to 9. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, which is 
four months after the first intersection that Nehemiah had with his brothers about the situation in Jerusalem. So we're four months later from that report that came back. When wine was brought for him, I took the wine, because that was his job, and gave it to the king after he had sampled it. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face look not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king, the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. This is God's word. I want to um, begin with you this morning by making a couple of observations in general about the will of God as we find it in the scriptures. And it is necessary for God's people to ensure that the promptings of our heart are from the Holy Spirit. This is crucial in understanding the nature of God's will for our lives. And so I want to talk to you about a, basically a four-square test this morning that will build a foundation for ensuring that we know God is in this, God is with us, God is leading us, God is driving the mission and the vision. And the first is this, the test of consecration. The test of consecration. I want to point out to you something from the New Testament that is key in the issue of discerning the Lord's will for your life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul, writing to the Romans, said this about the will of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. In other words, be totally consecrated to God. Or can I say it in the way that we're titling this series? Be all in. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is not for the grand champions of Christianity. This is to be normal Christian living. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. There's a condition to understanding, acknowledging being motivated and burdened and knowing the specific will of God for your life. You have to be all in. I believe with all of my heart that the all in are assured insight into the will of God. But know this, God won't entrust his good stuff to the half-hearted. It just won't happen. 
I think we find the same thing in, the, in a situation like Nehemiah or Isaiah's in, in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah had this grand vision of the glory of God. This, this um, general uh, picture of, of the amazing glory of our great God. In Isaiah chapter 6, you're familiar with that text, I'm sure. And it says in verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Now, I want you to know that I believe that's a general call of God. That he puts it out there. Because he uses term. He doesn't say, Isaiah, I'm calling you. He says, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? Who, who, who will respond to this call? And, and Isaiah, because he was all in. Because he was a living sacrifice. Because his life was consecrated to God. Heard the call of God. He had ears to hear. He said, hey, send me. I'm your man. And uh, it's important to to understand the nature of this consecration, to to be all in for God. If God, God, it, it will be at best hit and miss in your life, and frustration will abound if you are trying to track the will of God and not all in for God. The bird must grow roots. Four months, and this, this is brewing in the heart of, of Nehemiah. You won't even gather a burden if you are not consecrated to God. If you're not all in. There's a second test that I think, think is important as we build this four-square foundation for understanding the will of God, and that is the test of Scripture. Listen to me, you've heard me say this before, but I want to say it again, it bears repeating. God never, ever acts against his word. If you're coming to someone and sharing that something's on your heart and it's the will of God and it's somehow uh, in contradistinction to the word of God, it can't possibly be God's will. God never leads you against his word. Not ever. I've had people coming to me, you know, and say, well, I just believe God really wants me to do this. And, and um, particularly in the, in the areas of marriage is one of the key ones. Well, I just, I know, I know they're not a believer and all of that, but, but you know, I, I love them. And, and I just believe that, that God's had me single long enough and he just wants me to marry. Listen, God doesn't want you ever to go against his word. It's never his will to go against his word. And what was the word here to Nehemiah? The city of Jerusalem, according to God's word, was the place where God had stated, my glory will dwell. It was the earthly presence of God in the Old Testament community. And it was in jeopardy. It was in ruins. He had the sure word of God. To to say that I've got to go and do something about this situation was in accordance with the word of God. There's an interesting statement from the prophet Jeremiah with respect to God and what God wants us to do in, in life. And in, in Jeremiah 18, verses 7 to 10, listen. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster that I had planned. 
And if at another time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good that I intended to do for it. This is the word of God that that Nehemiah had in his heart. God's people are, are not responding to God properly. There's no way God can bless them. I've got to go and respond to the word of God. The test of Scripture cause of scripture, the glory of God in his holy city, calling people to a holy reverence and passion for the earthly representation of his glory by obedience to his word. From sloppy religion to reverent precision. There's a third test that's important as we build this foundation. That's the test of the body of Christ. The test of the body of Christ When God places something upon your heart to do, I believe it is critical that we run it by God's people as a test of our personal suitableness and the scriptural veracity of what we have in our hearts, what we believe in. In verse 5, Nehemiah says of the king, if it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in your sight. Back in verse 11 of of chapter 1, he says that he's praying. And and to the prayer of your servants who delight, he shared with other people what what God had placed in his heart. The worst judge of you is you. We have blind spots. The, the, The writer of Proverbs says, let the lips of another Praise you. It is critical for us to to, to trust and entrust ourselves to the body of Christ that God has placed us in community. I think J.I. Packer is, is entirely correct when he says when God calls, he equips. And if the equipment isn't there, the call is suspect. You can uh, have a grand vision in your heart and all these grand dreams in your heart, but, but brother or sister, if you don't have the giftedness or... You don't have the the ability, then it's necessary for God's people to say, listen, this is a grand vision, but it might not be you alone, or it might be somebody else, but it's not necessarily yours. It's a test of the people of God, a test of the body of Christ. Paul and Barnabas were sent by the church in Acts 13. There's a fourth test, and uh, I want to actually spend our time camping here because I believe this moves us into chapter 2 nicely and that's the test of the open door. The commission from God must be conclusively and undeniably from God to you. Oswald Chambers is right. Just because there is a need doesn't mean there is a call. Although it is to meeting needs that we are called. There's no end of needs. But listen, the need never constitutes a call. Why am I saying this? I I think it's crucial that we analyze how Nehemiah prayed in verse 11. He says at the very end of the verse, Give your servant success today by granting him favor. In the presence of this man. That's the prayer of an open door. 
God, if this is what you want to happen, then make it happen. I I have learned in my life how crucial it is to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is pushing the vision forward and it's not your vision alone. Because as I said, and you all know this, there are no end of needs, but you must have an undeniable commission from God. Because in the dark night of overwhelming needs, it won't be the needs that keep you going. It will be confidence in the call. You can mark that down. Because it will get rough. When you embark upon a God project, there will be delays, there will be opposition, there will be frustrations, there will be pain. There is glory. It's the only way to live. It's the only way to go. But when that dark night comes along, and it will frequently, it won't be all of the needs that keeps you going. Those will be consuming and overwhelming. It will only be that you knew there was that moment where undeniably God put his stamp on the mission. And he put your name on it and said, you're the man or you're the woman to do this mission, this project. I've called you. So, Nehemiah had already been praying along with others. He had invested himself in the community. The test of the body. He had personal passion. We presume by his life of prayer and all of that, that he had consecrated himself, that he's an all-in kind of guy. He had a scriptural confirmation. The city that expressed the glory of God was in ruins. What he needed was an open door. What he needed to know that for sure God was calling him to make an abrupt change in his life because he was about to go in and tell his boss... I'm quitting and going and doing something else with my life. So, um, I'm sure you're interested on how an open door happens. Because that's what we find in the text this morning. I want to point out five things to you very quickly. And the first is this. God's first preparation on any open doors happening has to do with the seriousness of prayer. He's mourning, crying, weeping, fasting for a period of four months. Persistence in prayer proves seriousness. Whom God calls, he overwhelmingly burdens. It wouldn't leave him. This passion for the thing that God had placed in his heart was dogging him. Day and night he was praying about it. He was serious about this. He was passionate about it. Listen, God burdens us first of all to pray. And it's in prayer that he actually forms his burden in us. This need to be persistent and And learn at the front end of any God mission that it's going to require persistence in prayer is crucial. Because anything God has going is is on the way to fruitful. 
and fruitful never happens fast. It requires persistence, commitment to God, prayer, fasting, weeping, mourning, agonizing, believing in God. God graciously, by the way, writes our prayers into his eternal purposes to act for his glory. But this training at the front end trains us in dependence upon God. So that that we never grab hold of the mission. So that we never try to own it ourselves. So that we always keep it as God the owner of the vision and the mission. I depend on him at the front end. It will bring me to depending on him throughout the whole project. And God's not going to entrust a purpose and project to people who are not willing to persist in prayer and learn to depend upon him at the front end. That's part of the consecration of all of this. That it remains God's mission, not ours. By the way, prayer will place us In the realm of spiritual safety. There's one thing I've got to tell you up front if you haven't learned already. But I I see enough pilgrims in this room who've been on the journey long enough to know that God's projects are usually pretty painful. You might get hurt a little bit. And there's one one prayer that, that God regularly refuses to answer the way we want him to answer it. And that's God please keep me safe physically. He's not promising to do that. But we can ask him to keep us spiritually safe. And he will do that. He teaches us to pray for that armament that we need against the onslaught of the enemy. The opposition that's about to come in a few chapters. Well, not that long. In fact, one verse. Verse 10. We just didn't go there yet. Uh, uh, Nehemiah is already... On the edge of what it means to step out for God. It's going to get ugly sometimes. But we pray for spiritual safety. Oh God, lead us not into the uh, enemy terrain. Keep us from evil, from the evil one. And so he prays. Well, there's a second that I think is important. A second observation to make out of here and how doors open. I think it's really key for us as, um, as he's thinking and praying. He's saying, oh, Lord, give me an opportunity. Uh, give me favor today. I, I got to go and tell my boss I'm quitting. I got to go tell him that um, God has given me a vision of uh, what I can do. And I'm going to leave this uh, very well-paid job as the second man, as the chief of staff of Persia. And, and I'm going to go off and do some crazy rebuilding program. Now, if any of you have ever been in that circumstance, you know that, that you're wondering, how is God going to give me an opening to talk about this? Do I just blurt it out? Do I just walk in and say, I quit? I'm on a God mission? And so um, he's agonizing over this, and obviously the agony in his life caused his countenance to be very serious and sober. And so he goes into the, as we read the text, goes into the presence of, uh, of the king, and, uh, and the king says to him, uh, Hey, what's with your face? It doesn't look very good today. Now, most of us are saying, well, that's uh, what's the big deal about that? Listen, when you are the cupbearer to the king, you are not hired to be Debbie Downer. You know what I'm saying? 
You know, the king has enough burdens in his life. He's got enough problems. He doesn't need somebody walking in every day moping into work. Oh, yeah, it's a rotten day, you know. He's that, in fact, you can lose your life with that. At the very least, he's going to be thrown out. So it says in verse 3, he was scared silly. Listen, the second thing that's important for us to know is this. When we're looking for an open door, God will find a way to move his will forward. He didn't have to say a thing. The king asks him, hey, what's on your mind today, brother? You're not looking very well. It's surely, it's obviously not physical health. It must be something heavy on your heart. Can you imagine? Can you, do you think what Nehemiah was like that day? I just prayed and asked God, and look at this opening I have. He's already gone to my heart. There's a tendency in all of us when we think we've got something brewing with God, something clicking with God, is to sort of try and force it along. Don't resist that. Pray. Seek God to give the opening. After all, Nehemiah was going to ask the king to reverse regal policy. And don't be surprised if you're scared silly when God taps you on the shoulder and says, you're the person for this assignment. What, me in the nursery? I'd be scared silly if somebody, God tapped me on the shoulder for that one. He's going to request regal a change of regal policy. Because after all, if you read back in Ezra chapter 4, the king of Persia had already laid down a regal edict that there was no more building going on in Jerusalem. Don't force God's will. So four months are rolling along. God has already obviously put something in Nehemiah's heart. And one of the other problems, one of the other tent tendencies of all of us in this pursuing of the will of God is to try and rush in to start things right away. God has laid, come running in, God has laid an amazing vision on my heart this morning during your sermon. And here's what we have to do. We have to completely change everything and start right now. You're going to get a little resistance when that happens. It's just like, whoa, you're coming on a little strong. Did God just give you the stew? Or been, is, and so here's, here's what you see Nehemiah do. Notice what he does. He's got this four-month waiting time going on. So what does he do in the waiting room of God? The third is use the time in the waiting, ro- waiting room of God to exercise dynamic faith in planning, refining ideas, learning dependencies upon God. I want you to know something about God's will. There is no extra points for being either passive or stupid when you're pursuing God's will. Watch what Nehemiah does. There had already been, as I said, a regal edict that the city of Jerusalem was not going to be rebuilt. So he comes in and he says, once he has his opening, he says to the king, hey, um, there's, there's a good reason why my face is so downcast. Wouldn't you be sad as well if your home city was ravished and, and um, the, the, particularly the ancient grave site, sites of, of, our, of our forefathers was being disrespected and desecrated. The ancient Near East, a horrible thing. 
So he starts working, first of all, on the heart of the king before he brings all of the details to his head. In particular, he wants to make this very personal before, uh, so that it won't become political. He says, uh, there's this place in the province or region of Judah. Never mentions Jerusalem. Uh, my, my home, like my homeboys, and, and, and the place of my fathers and my family. And, and so he's reaching into the, to the heart of the king. And obviously during the time that he had been thinking and praying, he's preparing himself for what I'm going to do that day. I'm going to have the conversation with this guy. When I don't just blurt out I'm quitting my job and going to build Jerusalem even though you said we can't do that. No, no, he's thought this through. And so he's bringing this, and not only that, he chooses a strategic moment. Do you notice in verse 6 it says, and the queen was there as well. Now, of course, you know, he comes in the queen sitting there with the king, and, and the king's Mr. Big Shot, and, and here's this faithful servant of, of the king who comes and he asks, look, my, my home, home is wrecked, or the ruined, the, f- the place of my forefathers is ruined, the, the ancient burial sites of, of, of my forefathers is being desecrated, and, and uh, I, just, I just need to go and, and do something about it. And, and the queen's like, looking at the king, like, you, you better let this guy go. Because he's been so faithful to you. and I mean, if you have any heart at all, you better let this boy go. It's important, you see. That we um, plan what what God wants us to do before we enter into the... uh, into the uh, hotbed room with the, the king. So the king asked him a couple questions. What specifically do you want to do? Now, I, I think this is, cr- is, again, critical for the waiting room time of dynamic faith. See, some people say, look, if God wants me to do something, he can just drop it down and give me an email of what he wants me to do. I never got that email. So he, during this four months, is planning details of, of what he should be doing. So, so the king says to him, what, what do you want to do? What's, what's on your heart? And notice in the, in the text it says, I prayed. Then I prayed. Just at the end of verse 4. He shoots up one of those arrow prayers. You ever done one of those things? You know, you're like in the moment. You don't have time for like a prayer meeting, but you've got time to say, oh God, please help me. Like this is the moment. I need, I need your wisdom. I need your help. And that's what he does. He shoots up one of those arrow prayers. And he presents his grand plans to the king. To, to move, which moves it past simple impulse and a dream to great urgency. If you are going to go before a believer leader or an unbelieving leader. You better not misrepresent your God. Our God is not sloppy and, and, and indecisive and, and, and doesn't have any idea of what he's doing. No, our God knows where he's going and knows what he's doing and he knows the purposes he has for us. And you're going to step into that that place where you're going to explain what God has laid on your heart. You better know exactly how to answer questions like, what do you want to do? How long are you going to go? When are you coming back? So Nehemiah came prepared. 
Some think that preparation and planning negates faith. I'm never impressed by organizations that hold back details and hold back plans and say, oh, it'll, it'll all work out. Just trust in the Lord. That's not the way God operates. You, you can read through the, the great causes of Christ, the great causes of God. God knows what he wants to do. He's got his plans worked out. And so you have this um, plan that, that Nehemiah lays out. Faith's never a cover-up for, for bad, lazy planning. I, I think Swindoll was right when he wrote, we shouldn't expect God to spare us the pain of failure when we haven't even considered the cost of success. God's prepared and decisive. So be fully prepared. It shows dynamic faith. Faith that acts. Faith that, faith that has legs. Faith that has hands. Faith that picks up a pen and draws some architectural drawings. Oh, we'll just build as we go along. That's not faith. That's presumption. Okay, there's a fourth. It's never just great faith alone. In fact, I, I like what um, Nehemiah says at the end of verse 8. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me. Listen, it's never about great faith alone. It's always about the greatness of the object of our faith. God who makes great things happen. So it pleased the king and he sent me. Not because of Nehemiah's great service to him. And not because of the great planning that he came with his detailed plans. None of that would have worked except God was behind the cause. God moved it forward. The great cause of faith is in whom we have faith in. What I love here, though, is um, the king's obviously warm to the idea that he goes. So most of us, once we get a little inkling of permission, thinking we're on the trail of God's will, like we rush out of the room and go... All right, I'm in God's will, and I'm on my way. And, and we run out and say, well, I know there are some things that I still needed about to make sure that God was really in this and to make sure that, that God was going to pr prepare the way. But you know what? I'm going to take care of that on my own, on the fly, because there's sort of a hybrid faith we develop that, that if, I, if I push this too far, it'll all fall apart. And sometimes in our rush to, to want God's will, we so embrace it, we so own it, that suddenly we want it to happen no matter what. And so we get the first inkling of permission and we race off. But instead he stands before the king and he says, okay, that's great, so you give me permission to take off. But I need some letters of introduction so that I can get through the uh, governors of the trans-Euphrates and they'll let me have safe passage. And oh, by the way, I need a group on to the king's forest as well. Because I need some timber, and I need you to give it to me. I mean, come on. It's like, hey, Nehemiah, relax, okay? You, you, you've got permission. He's not going to kill you. He's going to let you go. Why don't you just back off? No, no, no. Listen, hey, I want this, this, and this. And he's trusting God to grant him all of his needs. 
I think this is crucial. No doubt during his four-month prayer time, God had put in his heart to go for broke boldness. I have watched people who really embrace this and trust God for things people are saying, are you kidding me? Why don't you just settle on what you have? No, no. I'm asking God for the whole nine yards. And there's never going to be a better time than right now. If God is in this, I'm going to trust God for the whole thing. And I think it's really good to know up front that you can trust God with the whole thing. And so he doesn't back off. He doesn't, he's not fearful of that. He's not saying, oh, I, I'm not sure I'll be able to trust God for that much. If he can't trust God for that much at the front end, what's he going to do when this project really gets rolling? He says, no, I'm laying it on the line. And he's already, you can see, already thought it out because he says, I, I, I need some beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple. I, I need stuff for the city wall and, and I need stuff for my own house. You're going to build me a house too. I've been taking bullets for you so long. Drinking your wine, risking my life every day. Least you can do is build me a house. I love this guy. This guy, he, he's the kind of guy who... Uh, He's going to storm hell with a squirt pistol. You know what I mean? He's, that's the kind of guy he is. Never, ever try to make up for what is surely too much to expect of God. Don't try that. Don't try to do this on your own. Believe God for all you need. Okay, finally, there's a fifth thing here. Uh, it's kind of tucked in here almost as an afterthought in verse 9. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. He never even asked for that. You know what the fifth thing when you're getting an open door from God is? When God's in it, he will grant more than we ask or think. That's not just an Old Testament principle. That's a principle that runs right into the New Testament. Why does God do that? I'll tell you why. Because we're not smart enough. So as simple as that. It's, it's a very simple thing. We don't know to ask for enough stuff. The reason God grants us more than we ask or think is because we haven't thought of it. God's already thought of what he needs. God knows that he's going into unwelcome territory. There's not going to be a welcoming committee meet him in, in Jerusalem. Oh, look at Nehemiah's here to build the walls and, and build the doors. Isn't this great? No, that's not the way it's going to be. He wasn't sure what he would face, but God knew exactly what he was going to face. And he's going to need an entourage, of an army, an armed guard escort. Now, some of us would say, oh, come on, Nehemiah. You should have refused the armed escort. Where's your faith? You should just trust in God. Is that what some of us want to do all the time? Oh, come on. Are you, why, why do you need all this physical help around you? Just commit yourself to God. He'll take care of you. Hey, this was God's idea. I think there's something very important for us to settle in terms of principle. God regularly employs physical resources to advance or secure spiritual projects. You know, people say, well, why would I accept pagan insurance? 
Because I would say God regularly employs physical resources to advance or secure spiritual purposes. That's why. To those who understand fully in their heart that all of these physical resources are really just window dressing for the true power behind all these things is the living God. It doesn't matter how big the army is surrounding you if God's not in it. But God's in this thing. And God has established this. And God is sending the army. You see, for those of you who are students of Ezra, you'll know, to know back in Ezra's time that Ezra faced the same kind of scenario and he said, I'm not asking for armed guards. I do not want to come before these pagans and suggest that my God can't take care of me. That's a different scenario. Ezra refused to ask and therefore refused to accept. Nehemiah never asked. God provided and he accepted. So it's important for us, I think, to realize that that God works through more than we ask or think. Trust him. He knows the journey. He knows what you're going to need. He, he knows what kind of extras that you didn't think you might need to complete the journey. Expect greater things from God when you're pursuing his will. So as we conclude this morning, let me ask you the great question that... Um, The king, in verse 4, asked Nehemiah, what is it you want? I'm not talking about uh, special dreams and visions of uh, being a millionaire or retirement house in Florida. That's not what we're asking about today. We're asking, what do you want that has come as a burden from the heart of God? What do you want? What do you want God to do for you? You put some prayer in it? You got some planning going on? You got some vision? Is your life a little unsettled? You see some things that are unsettling you and they're stirring you up and it won't leave? What, what, what for years have you been saying, I should do something about this? God's been burdening my heart and I've just been putting it aside. I could never do it. I'm, I'm not strong enough. I'm not gifted enough. I, whatever. Have you ever even pursued an open door? What do you want to do to make a difference in the kingdom of God? You all in? Our Father, I pray this morning as we digest the uh, truths and the application of this, I, I ask, Father, knowing full well that there isn't a one of us in here who hasn't come to crossroads in our lives or wondered why you, you've made us, why you brought us into um, your kingdom, how you've gifted us, give, what talents you've given, what place you've put us, how we can serve, where best to be used, where best to, to, to spend ourselves for God. I pray, Father, that we might uh, drink deeply of the word of God this morning and, and, and rehearse this pattern of, of a man of God. Not a special superstar, a normal man of God.
called in many ways to be exceptional in very ordinary things. Lord, I want to be exceptional in ordinary things that you've called me to. Sometimes among very mean people, in the midst of sordid surroundings. But I want to be where you want me to be and do what you want me to do. For Jesus' sake. Amen. In the grand theater of God's great salvation, there are no extras. Everyone has been called into the kingdom of God on purpose. So what's your purpose? What's God called you to do? What do you want to do? What's God put on your heart? What is it that passion that burns in your heart? You see something that unsettles you. God lays it on your heart. You pray about it. And God moves you forward. Pray. Don't force the will of God. Be prepared, fully prepared and planned. Ask God for all that you need. And then expect greater things from God than you can ever imagine or think. But be all in. Let's make our lives count for such a time as this. God has brought you specifically into the kingdom of God. You know, all the people outside of the kingdom of God, they're aimless and purposeless. And they talk things like, I have no idea why I'm here. That should never be a statement of God's people. We are purposely in the kingdom of God. Now be all in and serve him with all of your heart. Let his passion and his burden be your burden. It'll be different for each of us. But he has something for you. Pursue it. Our Father and our God, I pray for God's people here. I ask that we would consecrate ourselves. Be all in, not half-hearted. That you might entrust to us your best stuff. To each individual here, whatever, whatever might seem great or small, there is no great or small in the kingdom of God. There is pursuing the will of God with a passion. So I pray, Father, that our people, your people, would hear your message and seek your heart until their hearts belong to your heart and your heart belongs to their hearts. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.